Well, I'm glad you guys are here. Before I jump into this series, I want to uh, ask for your prayers uh, for Fort Myers. Uh, some of you probably don't know, but in 2018, I moved here from Fort Myers as a pastor there for eight and a half years. And uh, Josh, our student pastor, and his wife, Jenny, they also came with us and our family. So we've still got family and friends uh, still there, a ton of them, uh, especially friends. We've got some family, and, and uh, it's devastating uh, of what's happened. And I was talking to one of the pastors uh, still on staff there, uh, and he said uh, that half of Fort Myers is either gone or underwater. And so it's, you know, I, I was there when the last hurricane hit. You guys were going through Harvey like a week later or two weeks later, whatever it was. We got hit with our hurricane and, and just navigating through this, and this is so much worse. And so, uh, so we're going to invite you to to either give, you can give online. Uh, this is all up to you if you want to do this, participate. Uh, we've already given personally, uh, so that's a way you can go on our website and you can give, or we're going to be putting uh, tomorrow, we're waiting to hear uh, from the team there to find out uh, ways that we can give. Because some, you know, a lot of times you just want to, you know, we're going to respond, we're going to go do stuff, and then you don't have gas and you, enough to get down, and you don't realize everything that's happening, and people are don't have even houses to live in. So we're, you know, there's just all these things. And so we're trying to have a strategy of how we can go and be hands and feet of Jesus uh, to that city. And so anyway, just so you realize, we'll be keeping you up to date. But you can sign up online uh, with us. We'll be communicating as far as ways you can give. That's one way, but also ways you can serve and, and participate. Even if you can't physically go, there'll be ways that you can also participate. So let me just pray. Uh, for the folks in Fort Myers and surrounding area, Cape Coral and so forth. God, thank you. Uh, we know that uh, you're not oblivious to this. We, we've, many people here have experienced when, they, when Harvey came through uh, and those that have lived in New Orleans or other places where we've gotten hit with hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes and all kinds of stuff, and it's devastating. Lord, to, to, to see so many places that I am so familiar with just wiped out. And, and to know that, God, you're still present. And so, Lord, I just pray for the comfort and the peace. I pray for uh, people's power and just simple things like water to be able to be distributed and, and, uh, and Lord, for them to be cared for. And so many people have lost so much. And so, God, I just pray as they really wrestle through just the, even the grieving process and, and trying to get their lives back in order, like what all those different things that, that are going to need to take place. Lord, would you, would you please just be with them so they feel your presence? And Lord, would you empower those local churches to be the hands and feet, the, the way that you designed the church to function should function in the greatest way, especially in times of great need. So I pray that those churches will rise up, be unified, work together to serve their community. And so, God, we thank you. We love you. And be with us this morning. Open our hearts to what we're going to talk about today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, what, what do you think about that when, when most people think of church, they often equate it with religion? The question is, Why? Why do most people equate church with religion? In fact, you know, a lot of times uh, I'll be playing, if I'm playing golf and somebody eventually asks the question, hey, what do you do for a living? And it's like, oh, here it goes, right? Because they've been cussing the whole time. And, uh, and 
And so I'm like, oh, I'm a pastor. And they're like, oh, sorry, Rabbi. You know what I mean? It's like, it's those kind of, <laughs> seriously, that happens. And, and so I'll be like, no, that's cool. And, and, uh, and, they're, and I'm like, so do you go to church anywhere? Oh, no, no. You know, I don't believe in organized religion. I said, that's cool. Neither do I. I said, but do you go to church anywhere, right? Because the idea is that church and religion are one and the same. Or why, here's the other response sometimes I'll get is like, why in the world would I get up early in the morning and go to a church that's just going to remind me of how imperfect I am throughout the week? Like, why would I do that? Why would I want to go to a building that's going to remind me I'm doing it all wrong? And see, some of you are, are, are trying to do the right things, right? Like, we're trying to do those things, and, you, and, you, and you, you even, you know, you went to the extra steps of, like, I'm just going to stop going certain places, and I'm going to end certain relationships, and I'm going to stop certain habits and re- reestablish appropriate habits. But eventually, every single one of us has experienced this. You failed. Like, you couldn't do it. Like, you couldn't do it perfectly, consistently, all the time. And so the last thing you want to do In your mind, as you think about this, you're going, man, why try so hard? Like, I can't do it, so why am I trying so hard? And then why in the world would I get up and go listen to a preacher that's going to find verses that's going to make me feel just as guilty and shameful as I did earlier? Why do I need it? That's what church is about. That's what really, I don't need it. Like, I don't even want it. Or maybe you find yourself literally on the opposite end of this conversation, kind of the other side of the coin, and you don't feel like you need religion or church because you're actually a pretty good person. Like people tell you you're a good person, like you're a nice person, you're generous, you're caring. You, you know, you really, you know, if, if people didn't know, they'd think you were a Christian because you're just such a nice person. You're like, you know, why do, I, why do I need church? Why do I need, you know, religion? Because you've watched the news and you know you're not as bad as those people, right, that end up getting on the news. Or, but you also know you're not Mother Teresa, so you're probably somewhere in between And you're thinking, hey, uh, you know, I'm not those horrible people that murder and all that kind of stuff. And I'm no Mother Teresa. I'm somewhere in the middle. So I'll take my chances because I think I've done a pretty good job with my life. I'll take my chances with God. And we have all these ideas and thoughts as it pertains to religion. In fact, some of you actually live next door to a Christian. Or you've, you've watched their life, you've watched their marriage, or maybe you've even done business with a Christian and you weren't overly impressed. In fact, your conclusion is, if that's what church produces, no thanks. If that's what religion is all about, I'll pass. And see, there are some of you that have been trying to go to church for a long time because you felt like, God's been giving you the cold shoulder. He's been keeping you at a distance. You felt even kind of condemned by God because of some decisions you made in high school or, or in college or on spring break and, or maybe even on a business trip and you were in a relationship maybe that was even inappropriate. And, and, and again, you, you just feel like God's punishing you. He's, he's alienated himself from you. He's ignored you. He doesn't answer your prayers because he's still just mad at you because of it. In order to get those things right with God, you think, man, I better get to church. I better be consistent as if your attendance coming to this building is going to get a gold star next to your name. See, we have this thinking as, it appro- as we approach God that, that man, if I just do enough doing, enough consistent doing, then somehow, some way, God then 
will accept me or forgive me or invite me or whatever it might be. Or you stay out of church because you figure out, hey, listen, there's no way I'm going to do this thing perfect. And I don't need to go to a facility of brick and mortar and just feel more shame and guilt than I already did because I already know God's mad at me. So why even try? And if you can relate to any one of those people, peoples, like if you can fit into any one of those potential categories, if you will, and you can relate to maybe some of the conversations and you feel like maybe those are some of the same conversations that you've had or maybe you didn't say them out loud, but you've thought them. I believe that if Jesus was here this morning, like his spirit is here, but if he was physically here in the flesh, I think he would sit down with you and look you in the eyes and say, if, if that's you, like if that's how you feel towards me, I just want you to know, that's religion. That's not me. Like you've, you've bought a counterfeit that's, that has nothing to do with me or the church that I died for, that I set up, that I designed and had it flourish when I left. It's religion, which I came to abolish and put to death. You say, well, what then is religion? Because you thought Jesus and religion or church and religion Maybe we're one and the same. Here's what religion is. You need to write this down. Religion is my attempt to work my way into a relationship with God. And if you didn't get the notes when you came in, please feel free to grab those notes. Or if you're tuning in online, you can uh, download them uh, as well. But religion is my attempt to work my way into a relationship with God. Get this. Religion is, there's a set of rules over here. And there's God over here. Imagine a big kind of throne, right? We have these images in our mind. And there's a rules, the Ten Commandments, whatever you want to imagine. There's rules. And if I just keep them long enough and consistent enough, I'm going to get closer to God. That's religion. That's a system. That's a thought that, that we have as we think about religion. So my effort, somehow I think, my effort, My consistency is going to earn me a good position. I'm going to be now in good position with God because I tried really, really hard. Or I was super committed. I mean, I rededicated my last five rededicated. Like you are just constantly recommitting, right? Because that is the, the thought, the idea in our mind. The problem is we make assumptions on what these rules are. And we, gain, we, we, we have these rules or these laws or these whatever, and we make assumptions on what they are. And we, we make assumptions on what we think is most important to God. And I'm just telling you, if I were to take a survey of everybody in this room, there's probably 550, 600 people in this room. If I were to take a survey of of every single one of you and I would say, hey, write down the top five rules, okay? Write down the top five rules that you think are most important to God and you would send them in and I would read through them. There might be some consistencies within the rules, but not everybody would have the same top five. We just know that to be true. Rarely that would ever happen. And the reason why is because some of our rules, right, 
are based on scripture. Some of our rules are based on our parents and some of our rules are just based on life. Like there's a whole lot of thou shalt not, so we get some of that kind of stuff. But then, you know, we were told you better never do this or you must always do that or good girls never and good guys always, right? Like there's all these things and we take all that stuff and then we go through our grid of thinking, what's most important to God? And then there's a little caveat and what am I not so good at? And based on that, we prioritize. So for instance, here's one that I just absolutely know is most important to God and really important to me. That if somebody wrongs me, sins against me, breaks the law, they deserve justice. I know that. That's really important to God. And if, and if I do something wrong, I deserve mercy. Come on, you all agree with that, right? Like they deserve justice. They deserve consequence because they broke the law. They did this. They sinned. They hurt me. They did something against my family. But when I do it, accidentally, of course, God, give me grace and mercy. I don't want justice. No, no, no. I want grace and mercy. Like what about when we think of, I'll just use men. What about when men leave their families and abandon them? We think they're terrible. But the man that sticks with his wife but doesn't love, trust, honor, or respect her, they're not nearly as bad. See, we grade sin. I would ask that person's wife what she thinks. Like, we grade it. Is a cheating friend terrible? Yes. Is cheating on the government? Oh, that's different. <laughs> right? I mean, we have... This thinking, we're all different. Like we have these different priorities and these different thoughts of what's good and what's not so good. And so we have a tendency to rank what we think is most important to God. But here's the deal. We can't even agree on what the rules are. We're not even sure what they are. You're going, come on. Like speeding can't be that important to God. I mean, he's got so many other bigger things like world hunger right? Like child trafficking. Like there are so many big things. Like I think speeding is way down on the list. And we have this way of grading our sins. And again, the reason is if keeping, here's my whole point. If keeping the rules is my route to God, or my route to getting in good with God, then we are all in for a lot of disappointment because we can't even agree on the rules. And I just know if if you follow me long enough and I follow you long enough, there'll be some kind of issue or contradiction in our system. And here's what will happen. Our rule-keeping will eventually hurt people. We see it with the Pharisees. We've seen it. You've probably experienced it when people say they have church hurt. It's often not with a building. It's often not. It's, it's often with a person because we are the church. But our rule keeping can cause us to be insensitive and actually hurt others. And Jesus would say, that's the problem with religion. Hear me. Religion and authentic relationships are on opposite ends of the spectrum. Religion and and unconditional love can't mix. 
They can't mix. That's why when you grew up in a church that was incredibly religious and incredibly legalistic, you never felt unconditionally loved. It was always based on what you did and didn't do, what you wore and what you didn't wear, and always judging other people based upon whatever they did or didn't do. See, think about it. The environment, think, just, just think about the, the, the uh, environments that are very performance-oriented. How secure do you feel in those and those relationships or those environments. Think about your job. If you have a job, guess what? You're going to keep that job by performing well, by doing your job. If you don't, you know this. You're out. Like you're fired. You're let go. You're reorganizing, right? I mean, there's all kinds of different ways to go about it. But either way, you're done. Like there's nobody. This is, this is, you know this not to be true. If nobody's ever going to come up to you and go, listen, if you're in sales, going to come up to you and say, listen, uh, I know for the last year you haven't sold a single thing, but you're just such a nice guy. Like, we're going to keep you around and still pay you a ton of money because you're just nice. Like, you know, you laugh because you know that will never happen. Why? Because we live in a performance-oriented environment most of the time in our jobs. You perform well. You keep your job, maybe even get a raise or a bonus or whatever. You don't perform well over time. You're, you're out. And so some of you grow up with parents just like this. Like if you don't get certain grades, they have an expectation. And if you don't get certain grades, you fear the consequences of your parents. And it might not be some you know, big ordeal other than them just relationally or emotionally punishing you. Or maybe you grew up in an environment to where your parents constantly compared you to a child who was smarter or more athletic than you. And you resented them for it because you constantly felt like your worth and value was attached to you being able to perform and it was never going to be enough. You could never compete with that sibling and you felt like they constantly kept bringing that up and you felt rejected. You didn't feel loved, you didn't feel accepted. And the question is, why did you feel that way? Because that is the nature of performance-oriented relationships. See, some of you are in marriages like this, where you wonder, if you don't keep it going, if you don't keep everything like the way it needs to be, if you don't, are not able to continue to provide the, the, the source for the, the, life, the lifestyle that you've become accustomed to, you really wonder, will they stay with me? Do they love me? If I can't do everything perfectly or to their satisfaction, are we done? And it's exhausting to you. And it creates insecurity and you feel condemned by them. And that's what happens when we bring performance into relationships because performance always is a destroyer of unconditional love and relationship. And then what we do is we take that thinking of performance and we take it and we apply it into our relationship with God and we approach God that way. And no wonder we feel condemned because God has perfected, he has perfect standards and will never reach it, will never keep it. So no wonder we feel like we're lost. No wonder we feel like we can't do it. And we'll never be able to do it right every time. And I don't think, I don't care how good you think you are, based on God's perfect standard, we're all out. We're done. We're finished. We're condemned. 
And that is why I love the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at over the next six to seven weeks. Because we're going to look, what we're going to look at today is that we're going to look at the foundation of everything that we believe. And so if you're not a Christian, I'm so glad that you're here. If you're tuning in online, I'm so glad that you've tuned in because I want you to listen to the very foundation of everything that Christianity really stands on because the temptation for all of us here and tuning in, the temptation is for us to drift towards towards a performance-oriented thinking as we approach God. But the great news is, is our Heavenly Father will tell us, he'll tell you, That is not the system that I operate out of. That's one that you've created in an attempt to be right with me, but that was never what I created. So let's figure it out. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and uh, and, and I would encourage you uh, this next week, go ahead and, and try to read through the first seven chapters so you have a better understanding because the very first word in Romans 8, 1 is therefore. And so you say, what's the therefore? Therefore. And so you got to go back and you got to read. And, and if you go back to at least chapter 7, and you're going to realize, man, we're just like awful sinful people. Like scripture's like bringing that to the surface. That's why Romans 8 is like water to somebody in a desert, right? Like this is so powerful. So Romans 8, we're going to start in verse 1. He says, therefore, this is Paul speaking, there is now no, and you need to underline that word, you need to realize in the Greek it still means no, okay? It means none, zilch, zero, whatever other word you want to use, nada, whatever you want to use for no. There is now no condemnation for those who are really working hard and committed and doing all the right things. This is why you read your Bible and just don't listen to people, right? There there is no condemnation for those who are in, you need to underline it, in Christ Jesus. Do you know what that means? It means that when you became a Christian, which means, by the way, that you don't become a Christian by being a good person. You don't become a Christian by living in America. We got to celebrate a bunch of baptisms, first service, This service, next service, which is just awesome. I come in for everyone. I just absolutely love them. I love them. I love them. I love them. This does not save you. This is a public profession. This is a public celebration of what's already, they've already been saved. They've already trusted in Christ. We're just celebrating that they've already accepted Christ. Now they're publicly identifying that, hey, I'm not embarrassed or ashamed to say I'm a follower of Jesus. That's what baptism is all about. That following the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ, that doesn't save you. That doesn't make you a Christian, though. Growing up in a Christian home does not make you a Christian. I'll ask people, hey, how did you, how did you get to know Jesus? How, when did you accept Christ? Well, I grew up in a Christian home. Okay. That doesn't mean anything. I mean, that's great. I'm happy for you. But, like, how did you become a Christian? Or, you know, they'll, they'll say, well, I went to church. Great. Again, doesn't make you a Christian. So when it says in, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And the reason I say all those things is because I don't want you thinking that because you show up here or you grew up in a Christian home or you're a good person or you attend church or whatever that 
that that makes you a Christian. It doesn't. The only thing that makes you in Christ is you accepting the gift of what Christ did on the cross for your sins and the resurrection from the grave. That's what, when you put your full trust and weight of eternity on him and him alone, not him plus you being good, just him, that puts you in the status of in Christ. So he says, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which means you become so tight with God that from God's perspective, there is nothing, 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 I'm not sure if I was clear, nothing that can separate you from him. Not even, check this out, not even your sins. You're like, whoa, 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 wait a second. No, no, listen to me. If you're in Christ Jesus, before you were in Christ Jesus, our sins separated us from God. But when we accept Christ, he pays the debt. Now God says, now you're my son. Now you're my daughter. Now you're in Christ, right? So because of that, there's no more condemnation for you. It's a beautiful gift. It's an amazing offer that he makes to us. He says, listen, if you're in Christ, you are no more, you're, you're now uncondemnable. You're, I don't even know this is a word, you're unseparatable, right? I don't even know if that is accurate. But anyway, I'm going with it, all right? But you're uncondemnable. You say, well, what in the world does condemn mean? I want you to write this down. To condemn means to pronounce an unfavorable or adverse judgment on. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, that no longer, he's no longer going to judge an unfavorable or adverse judgment on you. He goes it, to another thing is to express strong, to condemn means to, strong, to pronounce, excuse me, to express strong disapproval of. God doesn't disapprove of you anymore if you're in Christ. Or to sentence punishment. And see, for many of us, we have thought or believed or felt that God just disapproved. He disapproves of your sin. Let's be clear. He disapproves of our sin, but he doesn't disapprove of you. Now, if you go later in Romans chapter 8, it says nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. And so when he tells us that, listen, God does, is not disapproving you, he doesn't condemn you. And, and again, in our thinking, we're going, yeah, but you don't understand. No, no, no. In that moment when you say, yeah, but... You are reverting back to a system that's based on religion, not on what Christ came to abolish. We have this tendency to revert back. But, you know, since I've done this, God must think this of me. Since I did that, God must think that of me, right? And it's not the system, again, that God created for you to live in. He says, if you are now in Christ, you are no longer condemned. And I know for some of you, you need to, I'm going I'm to say this because I, I just know where some of your thinking might go because of whatever background that you came from. This does not mean that there's not consequences for our sin. Please hear me. Our sin brings about consequences. But that doesn't have to change the relationship we have with God. So for instance, I don't have time to go into this. I might, I don't, I've preached on this before. Uh, 
But there is a difference between relationship and fellowship with God. When I accept Christ as my personal Savior, when I ask him to be, you know, Lord of my life, right? Like when I ask him to take away my sin and I want to be his child, I want him to be my father. Like I want that. Like I'm coming to you. I know that I desperately need you. When he saves me, I'm now his child. He says he gives us the spirit to seal us to the day of redemption, okay? So when I sin against God after I've accepted Christ, it does not remove my relationship because there's belief and thinking out there that, hey, that sin gets you out. Well, now, okay, you did that. Okay, now you're back in. Oh, no, 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 you know, you're probably out. And then people are on their deathbed like, I don't know if I'm in or out. I don't know if I'm in or out. They go to church. They go, you know, hey, priest, can you do this or say these things over me? Or pastor, will you say this? Or like, like there's all this fear wrapped in. Am I in or am I out? Am I in or am I out? Right? And, you, and you're never quite sure until you realize what Scripture actually teaches which is the grace of God covers all our sin. And he gives us the Holy Spirit to seal us because we didn't do anything to get in. You can't do anything to get out. And so with that, when we sin against God, it breaks fellowship with God, not relationship. When my kids, I am their dad, no matter what they do, I will always be their dad. They can hate me. They can want nothing to do with me. They can change their name. Never even talk to me again. Are they still my kids? Yes. That relationship will never change. But fellowship with them absolutely changes. And it's the same truth we see all throughout the New Testament. And so when you have that grid of thinking, being able to understand... This is not talk, this is the grace that he gives us is at the cross, he covers our sin. The relationship is done. Fellowship throughout our lives is why we continue to go back and seek forgiveness and reconciliation and to make things right so that we don't keep God at a distance because of our own stuff. You say, well, what if, Jesus is my savior and I still struggle and I choose sinful things and all that kind of stuff. Does God ever get to the point where he says, okay, enough's enough. Like I'm sick of it. You obviously don't understand and you're out. And I just believe based on scripture where God says no one can pluck you out of the father's hand. And I just trust him at his word that I couldn't do anything to earn my way in. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it is by grace You've been saved through faith, not of your works, so that none of us can boast. Not of my works. And so I just believe, and I will take God at his word. So for some of you, there's something inside of you that's getting really nervous. In fact, you've maybe liked some of the teaching that I've given over the years, but this one, you think I'm going off the rails and you think I'm losing it. And, you know, how in the world can you say that? Because you're concerned, oh, okay, Bob, okay, what about killing? You're saying, you know, there's no condemnation for those who kill people? If they're in Christ, you're right. Are there consequences? Absolutely. But are they condemned by God? Not if they're in Christ. You say, well, how do we even know if they're in Christ? We don't. That's a hard issue between them and God. But here's what I'm going to tell you. The fear is I'm giving you license to go sin. I'm not giving you license to go sin. I would tell you straight up, you'd be a fool to go do that. Why in the world would you ever want to abuse and misuse the grace of God? Because we're incredibly selfish people, that's why. But here's what I'm going to challenge you with. If you don't like the teaching, you take it up with God and his word. 
But here's the thing I'm going to say. You're operating out of fear. You're operating out of fear because you're afraid that I'm going to give people license to go sin. And my challenge is, why do you struggle so much with saying that God's grace covers all sin? When he says it. But what about, no, no, no. (laughs) We can all struggle with this. And it's because we grade sin. So here's what I want to do. I want to go ahead and drop down because he says we're in Christ. Verse 2, he says, if you want to know why there's no more condemnation, he says, because through Christ Jesus, the law, this is so powerful, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. You're like, what in the world does that mean? And I'm telling you, this is so powerful. Here's what he's getting at. Here's what Paul's trying to help us understand. You and I have been born into a system or a law of you get it right, you better, you know, you better do your best, you've got to perform consistently in order, like that's called the law of sin and death. It's a cause and effect relationship. You sin, you die. You sin, you die. We all sin, we die. Like there's, it's, it's been put in place since Adam. Like it's just, we were born into this sin and death relationship. It, we, we've, we've experienced it our whole life. We've been born into this system. The good news is the reason we are not, that, that we are not condemned is because God entered in, excuse me, God introduced a brand new system called the spirit of life in Christ. So this new law that God sets up says that you are not in based on what you do, you are in based on what Jesus did, which is a completely different system. You should be grateful for that. Like it's a completely different system. He's saying that even though both laws are in operation, one of the laws, the law of the spirit of life, overrides the law of sin and death. You're like, I still don't get it. Let me explain it this way. I weigh about 185 pounds. If I were to drop off of this, if I were to jump, right? If I were to jump, what would I do? Come on, what would I do? Yeah, I'd fall, right? I'd probably break something, you're right. But, uh, but I would fall, right? Why? That's the law of what? Gravity. Gravity. You're familiar with it. But what's interesting is why doesn't the law of gravity work when you go to Bush Intercontinental Airport and you see thousands, not 185 pounds, thousands of pounds of steel and metal take off and it stays in the air and it flies around the world. Like how in the world could that happen? Here's why. Because the same law of gravity is in effect, but there's another law called the law of aerodynamics that is also in effect and it overrides the law of gravity. Are you tracking with me? All right, so this is what Paul's getting at, is that these two laws are in operation, like the law of sin and death and the law of the spirit of life, but one overrides the other. And what God is saying is this is not Christianity 2.0. This is not, hey, the law of sin and death is just going to get a little bit better. He's saying, no, 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 no. This is a whole different thing. And Paul explains in verse 3, he says, For what the law, talking about the law of sin and death, was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by our sinful nature, God did. Not you. God did. How? By sending his son, Jesus, in the likeness of sinful man. This is so good. Listen to this. Of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned who? Man? 
<laughs> not a who, a what. What does he condemn? Sin. Condemn sin in sinful man. In order, here's the reason why, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Do you know what that's about? That's, this is God saying, look, the law of you trying harder to get in good with God doesn't work. It just doesn't work. You can be set free from all the religiosity. It doesn't work because that system is based on your ability to perform well and you'll never be able to do it well enough. But here's what's so awesome. God knows that we're incapable of being good enough. So God took care of it on his own. And this is such a foundational building block for all of Christianity. This is why, if you're not a believer, I'm so grateful that you're here. I want you to listen to this because this so is applicable to you as well. What, what, what you and I could not do in our effort and in our strength, God did. What you could never do, God did for you. And the Bible says that he sent Jesus as an offering, as a payment for our sin. And by doing this, this is like my favorite part, by doing that, he condemned not you, but the sin in you. But oftentimes we think he's condemned us. He said, no, 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 I condemn the sin in you, but I love you and I've saved you. At least I've provided, gave you the opportunity. And from now on, if you are in Christ, your sin, if you're in Christ, your sin, when you sin, it cannot separate you any longer. It breaks fellowship and never breaks relationship. And your sin no longer has the power. You no longer have to be a slave to the sin and death relationship because it's overridden by the spirit of life. The one that dwells inside of you, if you would just humble yourself and choose to let the spirit of God lead you and guide you and direct you. It's overridden. And he tells us in verse four, I love this part. He says, in you, in other words, in me, in us as followers of Jesus, as believers, Jesus fulfills the righteous requirements of the law, he says. What are the righteous requirements of the law? Perfection. The, right, the, the law that God required for you to obtain in order to enter in and have relationship restored back to God was for you to keep the perfect law and you couldn't do it, but Jesus could. And so when he died, all of his perfection and keeping the perfect, the perfect law, all those requirements, think about this, was now debited, was credited into your account. So now when God sees you, he no longer sees you. He sees the perfect holiness of his son. That's how he views you. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. My goodness. Every single one of us should be so unbelievable, great, unbelievably grateful because we didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. He just did it because he can. And he loves you. And his grace and mercy have extended to you. Oh, man. You're lucky I got four minutes left. <laughs> oh, 
I can get going. Listen here, I, 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 don't, I, don't know, um, I don't know your stories. I know some of your stories. We're in small group together, or men's group or whatever it might be. But I don't know all your stories. But we, we got some jacked up thinking. Right, like, you know, I, I was like, man, if I, if I screw up, I think, oh, man, I got like, to have a, an hour quiet time tomorrow because I really, you know, cover up that stuff. And, like, you had a bunch of them in a row, and then you messed up, and then you cussed out your kid, and you're like, oh, I got to go to a small group tonight, right? I mean, like, like I got to, like, seriously, like, that thinking exists. <laughs> I had some of that thinking. I remember, like, uh, when I was in college, I played ball, and, and you know, we, we made it to the championship game all four years in a row. I'm very resentful. We never won. But anyway, uh, but, we, you know, and no joke, no joke. Every day leading up to that game, man, I had my quiet time. As if God's going, would you look at Bob? He's spending time, like I'm going to make sure his team wins. It's just religious thinking. But the problem is when you have that thinking and God doesn't provide the way you think he should based on that kind of thinking, you begin to think very differently of God. But I'm telling you, you better be sure grateful that he doesn't act that way. So listen, I don't know your story, but if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, he tells you that you're no longer condemned. So walk in that. And I've got some great news for you next week, but I want to speak to a different group of people. If you're here and you're not sure, you're not convinced, you're tuning in online and you're not even sure if God even exists and, or maybe you've got a lot of hurt so it's caused you to question all kinds of things about church and I just want just for a moment I just want to give you some real truth not that anything else hasn't been but I, I want to speak directly to you about this there's some good news and some bad news I, w- I want to say this if you've never accepted, never put your faith, I'm not talking about praying a prayer, attending a church, ask, going to confess, I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm saying if you've never put your faith, your trust in Jesus alone, what he did on the cross for you and that he rose from the grave, like that's where your trust has to be, in him and him alone. If you haven't done that, please hear me. And I don't mean this to be harsh, but you are condemned because we live in a sinful world and my sin condemns me see when I the people that have accepted Jesus have into their life and and accepted it they're not perfect they're never going to do it perfect but but when they accepted Christ that they realized they 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 swallowed their pride or died to their pride and, and asked Christ to come into their life and and save them to put them in a different camp like I no longer want to be condemnable I no longer want to be separated from God. But your sin separates you. So unless you choose to part ways with the old life and choose what Christ has offered you, you still stand condemned. I don't want that for you. I would love nothing more than this morning for you to choose Jesus and for him to credit to your account, not because you earned it, but his perfect righteousness. And the good news for you is that God's already done all of it for you. You just have to choose to bow your knee 
humble yourself and accept the beautiful gift that has changed my life, changed the people's lives that you saw get baptized, saved, saved so many. And if you can't do that in this kind of environment, I don't know where you will because we will celebrate with you because it's the greatest decision of your entire life. So if you want to boil it all down this morning, here's what religion is. It's one word, do. Religion is just do. You just keep doing. Christianity, it's all done. You get to walk in the freedom of life of the person who has already done it all for you. So I want to pray. God, thank you. Jesus, thank you for putting religion to death. Lord, thank you for coming and abolishing it so that I don't have to perform and try to earn my way into getting relationship with you, keeping relationship with you. My obedience actually brings delight to you. But it doesn't earn me your relationship. And so if you're sitting here this morning, if you're tuning in online, and you're not absolutely 100% confident that when you take your last breath and you open your eyes and you stand before God and he says, why should I let you in to my heaven? And you're not 100% because I'm gonna tell you right now, the answer will never be, well, I tried, I did X, Y, and Z, I was better than so-and-so, none of those. He'll say, depart from me. The only way that we get to spend eternity with God and have life to its fullest here is by you saying, I put my faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, and I'm accepting his grace to cover my sins because I could never do it. So right there in your seat, you just tell God, God, I know that my sin separated me from you. You tell him in your own words. Say whatever you want to say, right? You communicate. I know my sin separated me from you. Not you from me, me from you. But you, out of your love, pursued me. Wanted relationships, so you sent your son to pay the price that I could never pay. And he made the sacrifice for me because you love me, not condemn me. And so right here in this seat, in this church, in this city, on this day, God, I'm asking, begging, choosing for Jesus to come into my life and save me. And Lord, would you not only come in and save me, but seal me. Would you help me know what it looks like to follow you? God, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.